Back to the Culture Call on Praise 93.3 with L. Spencer Smith. Our desire is to reach and empower the community by discussing a cross-section of relevant topics from various perspectives that are essential to its growth and interpersonal connections. Be sure to save our call-in number 205-752-4800. Be sure to install the free Praise 93.3 app so you can send L. Spencer Smith a message or topic idea. Search for WTSK in your app store. This is the world premiere. Great morning, great morning, great morning, Tuscaloosa. You know what time it is. That's right. It's time for your favorite talk show right here on Praise 93.3. It's the culture call. That's right. It's the place where Tuscaloosa meets the world. And yes, I am your host, L. Spencer Smith. And for the next two hours from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., we're going to be talking a little bit about everything. That's right. Everything from society to sports, education, to economics, from religion to relationships. And as always, we are here to create a safe space to have empowering provocative and yes sometimes controversial conversations and guess what you can call in or you can chat it up with us as we learn together right here on the culture call want to send a special shout out to brother jay my goodness he played one of my favorite songs in in the entire world today took me back i'm telling you i learned how to play uh uh the keyboard listening to be steadfast and movable by the florida mass choir my goodness uh, he just, I mean, he just zoomed me back all the way to the 80s, I'm telling you. And I'm telling you, I, I, he always blazes it up, blazes it up and uh, leaves this hot baton in my hand so I can talk to y'all for a couple of hours. That's right. And make your morning just a little bit brighter. So definitely shout out to the GOAT. Yeah, Brother Jay, absolutely. Want to welcome all of our first time listeners. Maybe this is your uh, first time listening to the Culture Call. Don't know how it was. Somebody might have told you you might be riding through our city and just picked up Praise 93.3. Yeah, you might be listening on somebody's app and they say, hey, you need to check this guy out. Listen, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for being a part of the Culture Call family. Indeed. We appreciate you. That's right. We want you to hang around uh, and, and just kind of be a part of our conversation. Call in or chat it up on the app. I'm going to tell you how to do that in just a few moments. But we want to welcome you. And as always, those of you who listen to me every day, every day, I appreciate you, you, and most certainly you. You make the culture call what it is, letting me know that what we're saying is resonating in our community, resonating with you and your families, and that is my prayer. That's the purpose of the culture call, to make sure uh, that we make sure that our community is not late, last, or lost, and what is happening in our world today, especially in Tuscaloosa, right? Good deal. Listen, won't you do me a favor? Go to your app store, get your uh, smart device, uh, your Apple phone, your Android phone, whatever they may, that may be, and go ahead to the App Store and download our free 99 app. That's right, Praise 93.3 FM. You can find our app there. Download it. doesn't cost you a thing, and you can listen wherever you are. I'm, I'm telling you, from Philly, I had some folks hitting me up from Philly and up north uh, the other day. Somebody hit me from Memphis the other day. So glad to have you on from Dallas, Texas, Houston. Y'all are really big supporters. Thank you so very much. Definitely in Florida and right here, even in Tuscaloosa and the Birmingham area. 
Thank you so much, everybody. Want to make sure that you know that I appreciate you, but that's the way that you can listen to us. Also, we have a Facebook page. That's right. The Culture Call has gone to social media world. That's right. The Culture Call on Facebook. That's the only one that we have. You can go ahead and like us and you can leave your comments, your events there. You can look at the things that we post uh, after a show, just in our recap, if we feel like there's something that you need to have. We want to make sure that you're able to get it. Absolutely. You can do it if you follow us on Facebook. But guess what? That uh, that app will help you listen to me from wherever you are. Right? Do that. Definitely do that. As well, in 2024, I know we've got a lot of exciting things going on, a lot of events. But I need to be your PR specialist right here uh, on the Culture Call. So you can email me your announcements, your public service announcements, your PSAs, your events at the Culture Call or culturecall.praise at gmail.com. Don't put the article there. It's just culturecall.praise at gmail.com. And give me an opportunity to let everybody know, Lottie Dottie and everybody know what's happening at your church, your organization, your fraternity, your sororities. Absolutely. Definitely, if you're an artist having a concert, a preacher having a revival, or if you may just want to invite everybody to your church, that's a good thing. That's right. And we want to make space for that, uh, for us to share that with everyone on the culture call, you know how you feel when you see people support your program. I'm telling you, it makes it gives you a real good feeling, doesn't it? Absolutely. Why? Because we do it better when we do it together. That's what community means. And as always, go ahead and write down the golden number 205-752-4800. 205-752-4800. You can call into the show, chat it up with me. Let me know your thoughts. Shout out to all of our callers. Or you can definitely utilize that app. And uh, you can drop me a chat and I read it. Yeah, I'm going to read it on the air for those of you who are shy and introverted. Like, I don't want my voice on the air. No problem. You can hit me up on the app and I will definitely share your sentiments on the show. Absolutely. That's what we want to do. I simply want to hear from you. So do me a favor, sit back, relax, grab you some coffee. You know what we do, Maxwell House to Starbucks, or you can get you some herbal tea, chamomile if you're trying to calm down, and green tea if you need a little caffeine kick and trying to lay off of the coffee. I get that. Absolutely. Coffee and soda, get off of that and get you a little herbal tea. That green tea will do exactly what you need it to do. Definitely you can get you some alkaline water. Mm-hmm. That's right. And detox that body. Make sure that you're feeling great. Make sure that you're feeling well. And do what? Get hydrated and let's get into the culture. Want to make sure that we send out a special prayer and concern uh, to all of those who may have been affected by last night's storm. It was a doozy, yes, and it's rolling through the south uh, east uh, uh, going toward uh, the coast, the upper uh, upper coast, mid-Atlantic states. Want to pray for all of those that are in that path. But listen, when you're in weather like this, you always got to make sure that you are listening to the weather report, whether that's James Spann or whatever you, whether you have apps or what have you. It does not matter. We want you to make sure that you're aware, especially when it's very cold and you see all this wind going on and you have a, a transition into sunshine. That's not always a good sign, especially not here in, in Tuscaloosa, right? This is the tornado alley and this is the weather that's the ingredients for tornadoes. So we got to make sure uh, uh, that there is not a, 
a hot and a cold air mix because yeah that's not always a good thing that's not a good thing so we'll make sure that you're you're at your job or wherever you are make sure that you're aware if you're traveling on the roads uh keep it on just every now and then to make sure that you're not missing anything if you see dark clouds all of a sudden loom quickly listen uh get to a safe area make sure that your family is safe that's right so that you can stay protected right good deal We are in that time of year where we must be weather aware, okay? Culture calls, so don't miss that. Definitely don't want you to miss that, okay? Um, And, of course, if if your lights are out, if you're having any power issues, you can call Alabama Power and make sure uh, that they have all that you need and that they get to your area if they're not, you know, if they haven't done that, especially if you're in a rural area. Uh, you, you definitely want to make sure that they know what's going on. Most of the time they do. They already have on, on their service chart and it's just a matter of time before they can get to you. But maybe, you know, it's no, it's no, uh, it's, it's nothing wrong with being, uh, safe and, 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 you know, putting it out there again, letting them know. Even if they say, hey, we already are aware, uh, you know, you got to do your community duty because, hey, we need our, we need our electricity. You got to have that, right? And so uh, we want to make sure that everyone is aware on deck. If you need anything, the appropriate people that you can contact. Good deal. So, look, we're going to have an amazing day on the Culture Call this morning. I want to talk about uh, a big subject that is close to my heart, always close to my heart, um, and give you some history on it and just kind of talk to some something, talk to you about some things that I think is in, that, that are interesting because um, – I, I am really, when it comes to black community, there is nothing like the black family to me. So we're going to be talking about strategies for black families this morning. And most importantly, we're going to be talking about the parentification of our children. Let me say that again. The parentification of our children. I want to say it one more time for all you folks that let he go with them big words again. Well, it's just who I am. But the word is parentification of our children. We're going to talk a little bit about what that really means, right? And and this whole idea for strategies for black families, the new construct, right? Uh, when we talk about families, uh, we've got to include some things uh, uh, culturally and as the times progress. We knew uh, that when we talk about families in the standard traditional fundamental sense, we're talking about a, fa- a home where a father and a mother is and children uh, and over the time, over history, we've had to uh, re-engage what those definitions are, right? That we could end up in a quagmire of definition and experiences if we do not uh, really uh, attend to what's happening in the times now. So we have to, we have to uh, 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 refine that definition of what family is, right? Single family, uh, we've got to deal with, yes, father and mother in the home. Uh, we've got to deal with you know, extended family. We've got to deal with, uh, you know, grandmama and granddaddy or auntie raising people. You understand? Uh, there's so many dynamics that are going on. You know, in some cases, we've got to even understand uh, the the same sex uh, relationship families. They still regard this country regards them as a family. So we've got to definitely can't leave that out. Uh, but we have to begin to talk about what it means to have strong family and what that looks like in this culture and in this moment. 
And even though I know very well aware uh, that this is a religious broadcasting Christian station, I do have the responsibility every day to give you the full parameter so that you will know exactly what's going on. Because, hey, the world has changed. The world is not my mama or my grandmama's world. Definitely not my granddaddy, great granddaddy's world, uh, where there were things that were more standard. But one of the things that we need to talk about is how can we how can we keep our families together and because families build a strong community and what part does religion have to do with articulating what those definitions are and not even those definitions but recognizing the reality of how people show up with regards to what they are calling families right that's the first thing the second thing that we need to understand is that family should be a safe space family should be not just a safe space but a sacred space right uh the bible says that he appoints the book says that he appoints and places us the solitary in families that means uh, that he makes sure that all of us are connected to a sense of community and that sense of community begins with family right that is a divine designation so not only is family as it were uh uh something that should be safe and we're going to talk a little bit about that but it also uh, should designate itself as a sacred space, something that is God-ordained, right? That God wants each and every one of us to have and experience the uh, the community and the cultivation of family. Family is where we are supposed to get our initial identities. Family is the place where we are supposed to be, you know, so connected and, and so... Uh, 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 shown our value and our worth, and we discover the initial sunlights, the initial rays of our purpose and destiny in the earth by being connected to family. And you know, when I when I when I begin to talk about this and teach this, I've got to deal with the the, uh, the historicity of family with regards to African Americans as opposed to Caucasians in this fa- in this country, because once we set our chocolate foot feet on these shores uh, this country has sought to to uh deconstruct our family the black family that taking the fathers out of homes uh placing the mothers in a place where she had to put her body on the line to make sure that our family stayed together they ripped our families apart and so you know uh there there's a whole history of how black people see family and what we've experienced as the context of family uh in this country right uh coming from the shores of africa where family was very very important uh, that families were sold even before they left the shores of africa africa they were uh, uh uh disconnected disjointed separated so that when we got to this country uh because they looked at us as subhuman and subpar and uh, which is the distinction between american slavery and when you know when people say well there was slavery all around the world yeah there was slavery in africa there was slavery in rome there was slavery in this place right yeah i understood that but what the things what makes american slavery so unique is that those other countries viewed slavery, uh, viewed the enslaved still as humans, as people, right? They never viewed them as subpar. They never viewed them as not having any human worth, right? 
uh, it was a it was a show of power and might. Our country, our people are stronger than your people, so your people have to serve my people, right? Uh, but it was never a sense of property. It was never a sense of being uh, uh, shadowized. It was never a sense of these people don't deserve family. Why? Because these people are not human. And it's much akin to where you breed a cow or you breed a horse and you take one horse away from maybe, you know, that that particular farm or whatever that is and sell them to another. That's how we as black people in this country were viewed because we were not viewed to have the fortune, fortunate aspect and the value of having family. And yet we found families on plantations. We found uh, the intermingling of, you know, and, and that was a part of our survival. Family was a part of our survival in this country. And so that was very important. The family aspect to the African-American community was very important. And even after the Civil War, uh, the Freedmen, the Freedmen's Bureau existed. The Freedmen's Association existed and they put ads out in newspapers that were available at that time uh, of slaves that had been sold because they were trying to one of the Freedmen's Bureau's uh, responsibilities and purposes was to reconnect what? families that you may have been in South Carolina and your mama, your daddy, your brothers, your sisters may have been sold and now they're someplace in Georgia or or Mississippi or Louisiana. And what the Freedmen's Bureau tried to do was send out those communications all over the country to reconnect what? Family. Family, right? And, and and that was very important. And then, uh, you know, post-reconstruction in this country, uh, that black fathers and black mothers and black sons and black daughters were lynched and hung and, you know, and imprisoned because, again, there was a whole, especially in the South, there was a whole mentality that thought that black people were not human enough to have families, Right. And then they attacked the, the, the families during the night burning crosses in their houses and all that. And then there was systemic poverty as we come out of the civil rights movement, movement coming into urbanized areas and where you see here where they have projects and ghettos and urban areas and that thing, those natures that, again, there was an attack on family because as the government said, hey, we'll provide project, uh, you will provide a home except that you cannot have a father in the home. You cannot have a man in the home. So in order for you to be... Uh, in America for our families to be subsidized, it could not look like the conventional family of the uh, of the time, which was father and mother and children in the home. And so you were penalized and could not be provided for if you were unfortunate enough uh, to to be in a place of poverty and lack where you had to be in. Uh, in, in, in impoverished areas or had to be in the projects or ghettos or whatever that was. So there's always been, you know, an attack, a uh, historical attack in this country on black and brown families and the marginalized families, always been a penalization. And yet, and yet, here's the good news. We have found a way through extended families, right? We have found a way through community. We have found a way through aunts and uncles and cousins to still create the uh, the epitome of family. So family has been a building block of 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 who we have been as a community 
and as a people. And I want to talk about strategies for black families because now we have to make sure that we as ourselves are not making conscious decisions to destroy that fundamental principle of family that has been so valuable to creating and fortifying and stabilizing the black community. That when you hear, when you hear about, uh, uh, you know, responsibilities of black men as fathers, even though, uh, statistics show that as, 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 uh, parents are concerned or as fathers are concerned, black men are still the, the most active in their children's life. That's, that's a statistic, right? Uh, there's still a, a disconnection of family. There's still a disjoining of family. And, and now I don't think it's because, well, I know it's not because of chattel slavery. I know it's not because of some of the things, historical things. We have to be careful that we are not making unhealthy decisions to create systems uh, uh, and have outcomes that do not uh, create strong families in our communities. Absolutely, right? Uh, and, and part of those things is that we've got to recognize our responsibility and create some level of standard and order uh, to to what we desire for our communities to look like, for our homes to look like, right? That is no castigation on the mother who finds herself re- rearing a child that's single. That does not uh, 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 send any shot against uh, those who may find themselves uh, co-parenting and raising their children's to children together. You know, although that marriage is not together, that's not casting any aspersions simply because we bring up that reality. The reality is there needs to have, there needs to be a conversation and how we will create the new family because we need the tool and strategy of family if we're going to have a, 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 and maintain a long lasting community. It begins at the epicenter of families, right? We have to talk about that. Now, again, we have to also talk about relationships, but that's another conversation that we'll do for another time. But what we cannot miss and what we cannot negate is this simple fact. And that fact is this, is that we need to begin to reevaluate what family looks like. We need to reevaluate what family will be. We need to have some pointed conversations and say, okay, all right, here's the deal. You know, here is how we're going to move forward. We, 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 need to, we need to do that. That's what we need to do straightway and verily, verily. We don't need to, you know, make excuses. We don't need to make up, well, this is my situation. Okay, that's your situation, but how do you intend to create a family? What is the, what is the connective tissue that we will give our children, right? Is our family a safe space? One of the things that we need to talk about is that part of the protection of our family has also been the Achilles heel because everyone in our families are not, every every person in our families have not been safe people to be around. So we're talking about incest. We're talking about molestation. We're talking about things that we know that have happened in our families that we don't talk about that we're covering up predators. 
We're covering up people who don't value the worth and the purpose of our children and, and that are uncles and aunties and are causing a generational habits and evil things to be portrayed uh, against our children that they never talk about, never get, get away from, and they have a deleterious effect on the emotional lives of, of our families because we provided safe havens for those people, right? And that is definitely a conversation, culture call, that we have to have. That people are growing up, but they've not grown up healthy. And we're making our, we'll, again, we know this. It's not like we don't know it. It's just that we're protecting the idea. We're protecting the ideal of who an individual is while they run rampant through our children. And that is not healthy. Many of you who are listening to me today have been victims of molestation and incest. Many of you have not been able to deal with the fact that all of these years you're still having to go to family reunions and you're still having to see people, you know, in church. You're still having to see family members who are pastors and deacons and mothers and and all of these things leading in community and they were uh, they were perpetrators of of breaking you down in your spirit introducing you to illicit behavior before you were able to defend yourself. And then to watch our family systems protect these people. And I understand part part and parcel of that, that, yeah, protection, because we don't want them to fall into the hands of a government system or a legal system that's going to put them or going to kill them or whatever, put them, incarcerate them. We don't want to be a part and parcel of that. But understand, we have a, a responsibility. Let me say this again. We have a responsibility to protect our families and make our families safe spaces. So therefore, all of the excuses have to be out of the window. We've got to make sure that our children are protected. We've got to make sure that, you know, if there is any hurt, harm, and or danger that has happened, that we admit it, we talk about it, and we purify it. We confront it. Yes, yes, And yes, I don't care who it was or who it is. We've got to talk about that. We've got to talk about what family looks like in our community now. That's our responsibility, Culture Call. In order for us to become healed and whole and to set a new paradigm. See, we're talking about a paradigmatic feature in the black community. And that is how strong really are our families. Not just the presence of mothers and fathers there. Not just the presence of resources. Not just the presence of, you know, all of these other things. But how safe is it to grow up in our families? Yes, we have to talk about that. Family must become a safe space. Family must be a safe space. Absolutely. That we have to begin to uh, reimagine and re-strategize how we take this component, this necessary component, right? And don't fundamentalize it so much uh, that you can't accept the cultural paradigms that are changing. And you disrespect one aspect of family because of the traditional aspect of what we say a family is. I get it. I'm a pastor. I'm a, you know, and I've been that, but I have to recognize that there are systemic levels of things that I must address in order to help people.
That's what Jesus would do to help people. You know, one time it was my, when I started pastoring, a really fundamental, that fundamentalism had me by the throat coming out of a Pentecostal sanctified church. You know, I wouldn't uh, christen a baby who didn't have a mother and father. There were stipulations that I had. And the Holy Spirit had to convict me and said, wait a minute, why are you penalizing the child? Why are you penalizing the baby? Why that, that baby didn't do anything that a lot of times they didn't ask to be there, right? You can use this as a ministering moment and calling that father and that mother and bringing them both to Chris and the baby and charging them, charging them both to say, hey, I understand the reality of what y'all, yeah, okay, but here is the deal now. God holds both of you responsible. Heaven holds both of you responsible to take care of this child to give this child a healthy and a whole family. Now, I don't have anything to do with your with, with whether you have a piece of paper downtown, whether you have uh, presented each other rings, you know, and taken vows before, you know, God and a host of friends and family. That I can, that I do not. I hear some of y'all uh, using the Pauline text, well, it's better to marry than to burn. But we're not talking about marriage right now. We're talking about creating a family system in the reality and in the culture in which we stand. And if you listen, and some of you listen to me, weren't, you know, that was in your situation. You didn't grow up with a mom and a daddy. Some of you got here how you got here, right? And what we cannot do is use religion to penalize a child. What we have to do is instruct that man and that woman and that mother and that father and say, here is the paradigm. Father, you are still responsible for raising that children, or your child in the fear, in the admonition of the Lord. Well, now, if you don't have a relationship with God, then this begins. Your fatherhood begins with you understanding who the Lord is and identifying that relationship in your life in order for you to rear this child in the fear, in the admonition of the Lord. Here is the text. The text says you have to raise the child, train up the child in the way that he should go, that when there's older, they should not depart from it. Well, here is the deal. You got to figure out Listen, whether you're married or not, you got to figure out how are we going to create a family full of instruction and health and a solid family as God has ordained. Yeah, because we can't do nothing about what we didn't do before the child got here. Now we have to create a family. We can talk about marriage on another end. That's another conversation. Right now, we've got to create a solid family. We've got to strategize to do that. And just instead of saying, well, man, God, God ain't pleased. No, you ain't pleased. God gives strategy. Talking here. I said, you're not pleased, ma'am. You're not pleased, sir. But God, Jesus, gives strategy of how we can do it. Listen, it's going to be a great day today. Yes, yes, I feel my soapbox arising, so you don't need to run away from it. Listen, this is The Culture Code with yours truly, L. Spencer Smith, right here on Praise 93.3. It's going to be a great day talking about strategies for black families. Got much more to come. Don't miss it. And we are back right here on the Culture Call with yours truly, L. Spencer Smith, right here on Praise 93.3, your inspiration station. And we are having an amazing conversation. I had to calm down. I was getting excited. <laughs> Culture Call, that's right. I was getting excited. Let me tell you, when I, I love the black family. I believe in the black family. And I, I think, however, we need to hold the black family 
anyone that wants to create a black family, we need to hold them to another level of responsibility and accountability. Right. I think that's our that that's our that's our duty as a community to say that, hey, we rely on the resource of family. We rely on the revelation and the relationship that family brings to the community. So, yes, we've got to do what we have to do to make sure that those families are safe and secure. It's a safe space. It's a sacred space. Family is a sacred space, a God-ordained space, right? And sometimes we can mishandle family. We can mishandle the strategy and the tool of family. We can, yes, we can. And we're going to give you a little bit of a few examples. We just talked about one, about allowing a predator to hide in our family, creating havoc in the emotional and psychological and spiritual lives of children through incest and molestation. Absolutely. To, to abuse and to violate the family members, the family strand, the family DNA, right? You can't build with broken people. Hear me, you can't build over the brokenness that is perpetuated because of our silence, right? That's one way. And then number two, we also have to understand this paradigm of how new families show up. You know, again, as a pastor, I, I, I humbly and honestly admit that I fumbled this when I was in my 20s and my 30s because that's when I started pastoring because, again, my fundamentalism had me by the neck. I couldn't see that, hey, you know, one day, I, th- I think it was my mom or my dad checked me. He was like, yo, why would you do that? Do you know how XYZ got here? This is how I got here. This is how your family got here. This is what happened. You need to, ch- you need to, you need to figure that out. And, you know, I'm like, yo, okay, but I'm the pastor, whatever, whatever. And then, I'm, and the Lord convicted me. It was like, yo, how are you just going to throw, you're not going to do this. You're not going to, they're trying to present their baby to God. And you're going to talk about, well, it's not the traditional family. Well, okay, good. But you wouldn't turn, if that mother was by herself or that father was by himself presenting that baby, you wouldn't have a problem. So what you do is you find a new strategy to incorporate that and add that to the list of how families are created. You would have been, he told me, you would have been one of the ones penalizing and talking about Hagar. And it wasn't even Hagar's problem that she had Ishmael. It wasn't Hagar's responsibility by herself. Abram did that. So why are you regarding or disregarding Ishmael because now there's an Isaac or to give Isaac preference when both of them are simply children? And I get what the text says. So I'm not, I'm definitely not going to eisegete the text. I know that why the bondwoman and her son had to be thrown out. I figured that because I, Ishmael was mocking Isaac. I understand all of that. So don't call me and don't write me because the preacher man got it. <laughs> right? But what I want us to reconsider is sometimes it's our it's our own personal cultural views, not biblical, not spiritual, not Christ-like views that want to be assuaged and want to be comforted in situations like that. No, I have a responsibility as a leader in the black community to, yes, call to both of those. Yeah, to both of y'all, come up to this altar as we dedicate this precious baby as I anoint them and as I, you know, present them back to God uh, as what a christening is. It doesn't make them save. It's just a presentation. It says that these parents are honoring God by giving them, uh, giving, returning to him the precious thought and the precious gift 
uh, uh, that he has entrusted them with with this little life. But I use that now as a moment to charge both of them, charge both of them. Now, oftentimes, one of them does not show up. The, the man oftentimes doesn't show up. I get it. I understand. I get it because I'm like, yo, I don't know what your intention is to this young woman. And I am not up here to discuss that. Uh, that ain't what we up here at this altar to do. Your intention for with this woman is not on question. What I am challenging you, to you today, sir, is what is in your intention to this child? Ma'am, what is your intention to this child? The child cannot grow up hating their father because you and him it, it, it didn't work out. No, y'all got to find a way to create a family. Yes, that's what you got to do. You got to find a way to create a family. But I don't like him where well, there was a time that you did. <laughs> so go back there and figure out how we're going to do this. Because the church and the community has a responsibility to help you fortify family. That church, that child becomes a part of our family now here at church, our, our, com our community family. Absolutely. So now y'all got to figure out what you're going to do because what we cannot do is have the child not feeling a part of family. And you, the first semblance of that should not be grandparents. It should be how the parents are going to cultivate an atmosphere and say, well, even though mom and dad are not together, we value you enough to put down our swords. Yes, we value and we love you enough to put down our swords or whatever we have against each other to provide a safe space for you. That's right. To provide resources for you to let you always know that you have a family. That you are a part of a family that cares about it. Yeah. See, that that's that's what has to happen. And if we don't do that and, and we don't have that important conversation, and even in the religious community, because because we are so religious, we have to get in it. Let me say this again. I want to talk to y'all today, and I'm and, and again, you may not agree with me, but hey, what else is new? But here's the deal: that you can't just come to church when it's time to marry and to bury. You can't just want a preacher in your life. You got to have a a pastor and a leader to where, you know, if you're not going to ask for permission, you at least ought to ask for prayer before you do a thing, <laughs> right? Because that's that, that's important. You got to start valuing the, the one of the uh, sacred centers of our community again, and that is church. Now, comma, my church is probably going to be different than your fundamental traditional church. My, my, yeah, how the coach, the culture and the community of the Impact Nation, I can guarantee you, is different than a lot of the traditional churches because when we read the text, we, we begin to look at intentionality. We, what, what is God's, what is Jesus' intention here? Not, not just what is Paul's intention because Paul is not stronger than God and definitely not stronger than Christ. Paul, that, that's not, no. So where Paul and Christ seemingly conflict, we let God be true and every other man settles down, right? So there's a cultural context because of how we value. We, Reb say, 
the church say, here's what we learn it in Sunday school. We do, yeah. But you cannot use the church for what you want to use it for and then disregard that community because a lot of times that's where our children and our family become a part and get connected to the community. There is a generation that does not know the value of that belief system and the fundamental building block of strong family. And we need to reintroduce that again. So that means that uh, that, that we're going to have to come back to the table. We're going to have to talk about certain things. We're going to have to be, you know, regarded in a, diff- in, in a different kind of, of placement and understanding of what we are supposed to do. What is our responsibility as family to keep our families, what, together? Because in this country, there is still an attack on family. Because here's the deal. Let me, let me show you how diabolical sometimes it is that they've spent the history of this country trying to tear up the the black family, the family since, again, I, I walked that at the beginning of the show, how, how they've spent time and then create media memes and this whole mentality that we don't, you know, oh, shame on them because they don't have good families. Shame on them because fathers are not in the home. Shame on this because this is this and that is that. But you were the ones that created it. From the time that we walked, you took away resources from us building because you, family to you at the time, I'm talking about uh, white America. I'm talking about the country in which we lived in. Family to them, the aspect of family to them, put us on the uh, inequality and equity with how they saw themselves. So we can't allow them to have the kind of family and existence that we have in this country we can't allow them to have strong families. We can't allow them to be have those benefit, you know, those benefits. We can't allow them to have a stable place because they understood that families. They understood the the power of pedigree. They understood the power of having continuity in bloodline. They understood that. And so, let's make sure that these enslaved people don't have that. And then let's turn around and make it their fault. Let's say that it's their fault that they don't have that. Yeah. Let's turn, let's, let's, let's create a whole system. Let's create a whole political idea that there is something deficient about black people when it comes to families and become, yeah, uh huh. Yes. That's the history. And that has, that's how it's perpetuated. Let's make it seem like that when that when it's the root of it is them. It had it wasn't us. We we are just participants in perpetuating their flawed mentality. We, did y'all hear what I just said, Culture Call? We have just been participants in perpetuating their flawed mentality when it comes to us having the treasure of family. Do your research. Read a book. Read. Read about the history of how it happened. Yeah. And that's why family and keeping it together has been such a fight and a struggle for our community in this country because we were never taught to value it. Family is literally, literally something we had to fight for in this country. To have a family. Eh? Right. 
And so, you know, well, I, I, you know, we can we can all put it well, well, it ain't a well, it ain't no listen, it ain't no world. I've done the research, I've done the study history, so you don't have to read all the books, but and 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 you don't even have to trust me if you don't trust me, at least pick up a book of read. But yeah, family to us has had a different context for us. Family has literally, literally been survival in this country. Literally. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Families have protected us. Family has kept us safe. Right? And now, now I don't believe uh, that we pay attention to family like we should. We don't, we, the, I, I don't, we don't protect each other as family. We don't deal with those within our bloodlines because, uh, as Zora Neale Hurston said, all of our skin folk ain't our kinfolk. If you are hurting a child in our family, if you are abusing somebody in our family, if you are doing something that is against the family construct, then yes, you might have the same color, but you don't have the same value and the same virtue as I have. And so I've got to protect my family from you. And yes, we have to do what we need to do. And we've got to do it. We've got to do it uh, before this. Listen, that, uh, you know, back in the day, being on welfare when I grew up in the 70s, that was something that was an enigma. That was like, what? That was anathema. I don't want to be on welfare. I don't want to be on this. I don't want because they understood. A lot of us understood to be in that system for the government to take care of you meant that you had to give up the family structure. Let me say this again, that a lot of the men that were homeless and drug addicted and not incarcerated or found themselves incarcerated during that time were so because they couldn't stay with their families and make it. And so the decision was, well, I'm going to go on welfare. Well, automatically, that that put him out. And especially if they were in urbanized areas because of the great migration, they had to move from the south to the north to the Midwest states to find uh, jobs in the in industrialized sectors, car plants and all those things to make it that that was a part of the, the, the destructive policy of government to take and to rob family away from black folks. Now, now we have to begin, and not to begin, but we have to reverse that trend. We cannot participate in that. We've got to do what we have to do, again, to build strong families. If that's talking about marriage and what it looks like in this context, in this age, let's do that. If it's talking about single parent seminars, co-parenting seminars, helping people get therapy so that they can heal, so that they won't be on social media spewing at each other, right? If we need to talk about baby daddy syndrome, baby mama syndrome, if we need to have conversations about that and bring ourselves together and remove the, the animus and the hatred and the bitterness and get some healing balm there, let's do that. That whatever we have to do, if we got to talk about molestation, we got to talk about incest, if we got to talk about family predators, let's have that conversation. Absolutely. We've got to do it. But what is what we cannot do is produce another generation of children and teens that don't see the value and understand the divine and critical connection to them being a part of a family. Right. 
that we grew up saying, I love my family. We knew cousins, brothers, sisters. We knew aunts. We, you know, we, we were so tight back in those times that even our cousins were brothers and sisters, right? That we just had a, a big old family, a big old family. Now, today, these kids don't even know their cousins that live across town, not in another state. They don't even know the people who are connected to them. They, they have no sense of family. And that's our fault, Culture Call, those of us who know better. That's our fault. And we've got to take responsibility to reverse that trend. Absolutely. We've got to reverse that trend. My children always fuss that man, but we don't know your family in South Carolina and X, Y, Z and everything. We had a conversation about that the other night. And what I recognize is that there are some people that my mom and my dad didn't even introduce us to. We didn't even know them. I mean, they're not close cousins. All of our close cousins, we were responsible for knowing because we lived in the general vicinity. You know, we knew those, but we grew up with a sense of family on both sides. But my question today is, do our children have a sense of family still? Is family still important to us, Culture Call? That's right. Is family still important to us? That's the, that's the question we need to ask ourselves. Is it still important? Listen, 205-752-4800 or hit me up on the app. Tell, Talk to me about it. Is family still important to us? Listen, we got a major topic coming up after the break. I need you to stay right here. Get hydrated. Get you a little piece of something to eat. Yes, and keep it right here on the Culture Call with yours truly, L. Spencer Smith, right here on your inspiration station, Praise 93.3. We'll catch you. Don't miss it. This is the world. We are back. It's the top of the hour, 11 a.m. and some change right here on the Culture Call with yours truly, L. Spencer Smith on Praise 93.3, your inspiration station. And we have been having an amazing morning, don't you think? Listen, want to welcome all of you who are just catching us to now. Yeah, you missed the first hour, but you're catching us the last hour. And we've been talking about strategies for black families. That's what we have been talking about. And I'm telling you, we've been talking about it. Uh, listen, it's my hope and my prayer uh, that you are, as you listen, that you're really paying attention to uh, the what exactly I'm saying, the nuances of everything, our responsibility as a community. And I'm going to hit the ground running with this at the top of the year because what is important is that we find and we provide a safe space where people can uh, uh, people can begin to understand that, yes, we have to be accountable for ourselves in creating that community. I understand what the history or what our history in this country is, right? I, I promise you, I don't take anything away uh, from that. I, I promise you, I want to make sure uh, that that we, we understand some things have happened, um, you know, uh, for for. You know, as, as we move forward, you know, trying to make some things happen, especially in this election season, that we don't repeat certain mistakes, right? And and all of these things, right? There's some history that I believe that if we start there, if we start from the beginning and walk our ways up, then we can have a level of understanding of that that just may be different uh, and cause us to make different decisions on behalf of our own community, right? Um, and, and so, you know, I, I'm, I'm praying that 
as you listen that you like, mm, okay, let me consider. I don't totally 100% agree with what, you know, Bishop is saying this morning. You don't have to. That's not definitely not why I'm here. But I at least want to enlighten and elucidate you to some perspective and perhaps shift your perception on what we really need to be talking about and what it really is. See, what we cannot do is continue in our community to live in uh, uh, to live in 2024 with a 1950s, 60s, 70s paradigm, right? 1980s, 1990s, things have changed so much, so many times, right? And I, I, I'm a post-civil rights baby. And so my context and my viewpoint has been shaped by the life and by my parents and, and the values that I learned. But I do understand if I'm going to be a viable commodity in 2024, then I've got to see what's happening now and see how I can begin to bring a level of understanding from the historical to the present, right? You can't stay, you can't live in 2024 wishing and hoping things were like 1950, 1960s. Because guess what? You're going to be sorely disappointed. Let me say that again. You are going to be sorely disappointed. Yes, you will be. If you're stuck there, if you're living in that particular mindset, you're, you're going to be stuck because the world has a changed, right? Um, you know, uh, the, the whole idea of the hymn writer writing the song to serve the present age, present age, my calling to fulfill, that each of one of us have to find a way to serve in our present context, in our present age, Right? If you're judging your grandchildren and your children uh, by when we grew up and when we were born, you know, yeah, I don't know. And and here it is. Uh, we pick and choose because the text says there's nothing new under the sun. So we always normally pick the good parts about when we grew up, but we don't talk about the full parameter. And neither did we have access to the full parameter and scope of what was happening around us when we grew up. We didn't have a social media. See, and our children are, are, are our children right here in Alabama are, are knowing what's happening in Nebraska, knowing what's happening in LA and Detroit, Atlanta, Chicago. You know, when it happens, they can pick up their phone, flip, make a couple of flips, uh, and scroll, and they can see what's happening in New York. We didn't have that same context. We didn't have that same illumination of culture. We didn't have that same understanding of politics that was happening around the globe. Right. We were marginalized by what was happening in our local vicinity. And depending on what age you were, you know, whether you had a TV or radio and, and, and at that, that at time, uh, news didn't travel at the speed of, you know, a couple of clicks. And you only had about three. Now you don't have so much news reporting. You have news commentating. So you got to decipher between when you even hear the news, the truth, our children don't have it easier than we have it simply because they're living in post-modernity. They're living in a, they're living in post-truth. They're living in a society that's utilizing their presence and their, their manipulating their mindset and offering their own per perspective. So, and calling it news, right? We're not living in the hour of verified, uh, educationally trained journalists. No. Our children and we are having to decipher against those who have a perspective and have been given a platform and are paid 
big money to skew and spew a particular mindset and ideology. And so if we don't come and have particular levels of conversations in our in our community with our people, we're gonna be we're gonna be shaped by the loudest voice. We're gonna let me say it again. We're going to be shaped and defined by the loudest voice. And that never, never works out for us. Right? I want to talk about something. I want to introduce something today. We're not necessarily introduce something, but I want to talk about something uh, and bring some historical context. And I want to bring it to how it has had a a harmful effect on the issue of black family. And that is the parentification of our children. What does that mean? That means that in our communities, we have a tendency of making our children parents and adults too soon prematurely right and i understood it i understood it from a historical context that in in some instances that is what we had to do to survive and even now uh there is some instances where we have to put things that should be relegated to families things that should be relegated to to adults we have to put them somewhat on our children, even before preteen ages, because of, you know, the, the way that, that because of survival and thriving context. I get that. So I'm not castigating, but I want to bring this particular nuance because in research, one of the things that we find is that that when our children are parentified, are made to be parents and adults too soon, it can have a range of negative effects on both the child that's being uh, that's placed in that position and in the family, you know, and parentification uh, can occur when a child is made to take on responsibilities that are typically the domain uh, of adults. And it can happen due to a variety of, you know, circumstances like parental illness, parental work, you know, financial hardship, absence, parental absence substance abuse or families undergoing high levels of stress. It can happen for a a lot of reasons. But what it does, it takes away the childhood age and development from, from, from the one in our families that should have that regular process, helping letting them be, you know, children long enough to, to matriculate into the various stages. See, in our families, our children go our children go from babies to toddlers to responsible teenagers and adults quickly taking care of other children taking care of household duties and we call it chores and i get that because there needs to be a level of responsibility training but you also have to know why it was done right we tr- we grow our babies up too quickly and so quickly, even when they are newborns, don't, don't, don't do all that crying. Put the baby down. Let them cry it out. We do that for, as a, as a mechanism to grow them up quickly, to, to cause them to be responsible so quickly so that a lot of cases to alleviate the heavy burden and responsibility on the adults that have them or, or to fulfill missing spaces in the parental structure, in the family structure, we place that on children. Or because one parent needs a friend or a relationship so that that parent makes one of the children more of an adult 
than the rest of them and and laid on lay on those children heavy responsibilities, heavy conversations, heavy ideas and emotional fa- facets and features that a child should not even take care of. You know, one of the aspects that, you know, and, and, and I'll, I'll talk about it, that we have a great movie out now called The Color Purple. You know, uh, Oprah Winfrey did a, a, a reproduction of the musical Color Purple uh, with Fantasia uh, and uh, Taraji P. Henson and, and all of the other actors, uh, Danielle, all of those other actors, Daniel, I can't remember Daniel's last name, but nonetheless, all of that. But when you look at the beginning of the movie, when you look at the movie structure, most people in our community had an issue with the sexual relationship between Suge and Silly. And like, I don't know why Oprah added that. Calm down. First of all, that tells me right there, you haven't done the reading. Church folk, you got to read before you spout off. You got to research before you, you respond and react. That is in the original book written by a black woman named Alice Walker. Right? So the book has always been that kind of context. The relationship between Silly and Shook has always been there. Right? It was a brilliant book. When Steven Spielberg got it in the 80s, the one in the movies, most of the people have seen the movie with Oprah Winfrey, Winfrey and uh, uh, Whoopi Goldberg and, uh, uh, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, Danny, uh, y'all know who I'm talking about. <laughs> Mr. I still call him Mr., right? When we, when we looked at that one, they toned it down because they knew in the 80s, people weren't ready to delve into that relationship, Right. And though, so the musical kind of featured it as well because I was fortunate enough, my wife and I were able to go to Broadway to see the uh, the musical uh, there with Cynthia Revo uh, playing Seeley and all of those cast. I think Daniel was in that as well, right? And and all of that, right? And there was an intimation there, and then she comes to try to bridge. Oprah comes now in the two, 2024 trying to bridge all of that. And most of our community were upset. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. How can two women kiss? Blah, 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 blah. And they had an issue. But here's what they did not have an issue with. They did not have an issue with the abuse and the rape and the parentification of those children. Silly was a child. They had none of issue with the incest and the molestation. Her stepfather had sex with her. That was the whole idea. That's how the movie opens up. But we didn't have a problem with that. And my question is, why? Why didn't we have an issue? Why didn't we have more of an issue of how children were protected in that time? You know why? Because we had adopted a sense of parentification. And in that, and adultifying our children, children of those times, to be able to be a wife, because that was a lot of our family's reality. But listen, just because it was the reality does not mean it was right. That was a facet of their circumstances. That was a facet of the times, right? And so we have to begin to look at that. We have to begin to understand the the, the destructive effect and the you know uh, of that it has had on you. And that it is having on the children that we are trying to rear now. You have to understand how it does not produce healthy and stabilized children with, with, with uh, authentic family structures. Right? Children 
have to learn how to be children. Children have to let you you have to allow a child to be a child and go through the uh the physiological and the mental emotional processes of being a child before you put adult full adult responsibilities on them. Yes. Yes. You know there are bills even today in 2024 in the south where congressmen are trying and when I say the south south and midwest they're trying to say, hey, we need to take the age limit off of children when they can work. The age limit when they can work in factories. We need to bring down the child, the, the, the limit, the age limit where children can be married. Well, well, who wants to marry a child? You're 50 and 60 and 50. Not to plow no field. And it, see, that was a different. Not to work no house. Not to take care of 10 and 12 children. So what are you? Well, how did that even happen? In today's culture, in today's economy, how is that even a mentality? See, so they're trying to revive, re- revitalize and bring a revital, uh, revitalization of uh, those destructive anthropological human tendencies. They're trying to bring that. And what we cannot do is, is, is perpetuate that cycle in the black community. Our children deserve to finish being children. They deserve to have a full pre-K experience, a full uh, K through six experience, a full teenage experience. They deserve to finish being children. There is a grace to be a child. Hear Paul talking in Corinthians chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. He says, when I was a child, I understood. I spoke as a child. I thought as a child. I understood as a child. But when I became a man, when I was a child, I thought, I spoke, I understood as a child. But when, right? We're bringing a child's second win too soon. The first text, it says, when I was a child, right? But we're trying to bring people, there are people that are trying to bring that second win. Our children don't need to gain their second win before they are maturing and uh, uh, they're uh, they're acclimated to adult life and understand what it means. I'm finished being a child. There's a place and a time when you finish being a child, and we're trying to help our uh, make our children be, uh, finish being children before they're even mentally able to handle it. Right? Exactly. See, and so there are some effects to having this parentification of children too soon. It's the loss of childhood, right? Children who are thrust in adult roles may miss out on important aspects of their childhood, including playtime, socialization, and the opportunity to explore and develop their own interest. That's what childhood is for. That's what childhood is for. You see? I, I, you know, it, it, it's not fair for you to take a child who's developing interest in a drum. He, he's in the, she, he or she's in the pot, in the kitchen beating on pots and then automatically, uh, you know, you put them on the drums or you send them on gigs to bring money back into the house. Really? No, don't rob that. They're exploring. They're developing. Right? Right? That's a great deal. 
an emotional burden. Here's another one. It puts an emotional burden on a child. You know, parentified children often deal with emotional stress and may feel the need to suppress their own feelings. They are not finished being children, so they can't cry because they got to take care of all the other siblings and cook dinner and all these. I'm not talking about chores. I'm not talking about chores. I'm talking about adult responsibility. They got to discipline the children. They have to put them in bed. They got to bathe the kids. You know, even their own parents, they got to watch out for their parents. They have to pay the bills. They got to make sure the lights stay on. I hear you now. What? Are you serious? Yes, I'm serious. Today, in the 20 of 24s, today, right now, today, Culture Call, there are children who are paying the bills in the house. Eh? Not with a little job. That No, I'm talking about paying the bills. They're not able to go to school today, especially in rural areas and in heavily urban areas. They got to work at corner stores, right? They got to get work permits early, not because they they don't want to be in children uh, children and playing with their friends after school, not because they not don't want to be uh, 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 have friends and, and socialize, not because they don't want to do X Y Z and 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 play with toys. No, that's not why. Not because they came out as adults. No, they have been parentified. There is a conscious decision to say, "Hey, you don't need a childhood. We're going to put this burden on you." Right? It's kind of just like what Ophi, uh, 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 Sophia said. All my life I had to fight. I had to fight my brothers. I had to fight my uncles. All these things. All these things. That There are children that are growing up in our community that don't have an opportunity to finish being children. Hmm? Here's another thing that it caused. Increased anxiety and depression. That the pressures of adult responsibilities on children can lead to increased levels of anxiety and depression as they may feel overwhelmed and unable to cope with the demands placed on them. How am I going to do all this? How am I going to go to, you know, the baby's crying. I got to go to the crib. I got to make the bottle. I got to do this. I got school in the morning. I got to take care of this. I got to come straight home from school. All of those things. All of those things. And again, you know, if it happened to you, the issue is we got to make sure. See, in other cultures, their children are given chores. They're given those responsibilities. And some, some, in some cultures, they let them finish being children. They let them finish being children. <laughs> they let them finish. Absolutely. They let them finish being children. But, but in our community, we grow them up quick. And again, it's not just cut the grass. It's take care of the house. It's not just put the groceries up. It's cook dinner for everybody. Y'all see the, I'm seeing, yeah, that. I, I, I was li- listening to a lady on social media. She's an older woman now. And she was talking about this whole parentification situation. She said, I've been cooking for my family my entire, my mom and my daddy and all my brothers, since I've been 11 years old, I've been taking care of them. And I, and she was telling her son, I'm tired of cooking. Because he was like, Mama, can you make something? And she's like, I'm tired of cooking. I'm tired of cooking. Absolutely. And I understand it. I get it. 
And she was just running down the list. And I was like, Lord Jesus, I wouldn't want to see a piece of chicken. I wouldn't want to bake a cake. I wouldn't want to do that. Listen, I would be eating out every night, Coach Call. But that's the reality of some people. They have been parentified. They've been adult, adulted since they've been on the planet. They have been like that for a long time. And that is sad. That's sad. That's sad. And so if we don't, if we don't begin to have that conversation of how we can get people out of that miss, this mess and measure, if we don't get to talking about that, because we're robbing our children from all of the things that they need to experience as children. We are robbing them from the benefit. They don't even see a benefit of family. They don't want to get married. They don't want to have children. They don't want, why? Because they've been adults. They've been parents already. They've been parents. And I'm not talking about your parents being older and you were children. And now that they're older, that you're being a caretaker. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you've been taking care of your parents since you've been a child and they should have been taking care of you. And now that they're older, you're still trying. That's what I'm talking about. That's a heavy weight. Culture call. That's a heavy weight. Absolutely. Listen, there's an educational impact. The time and energy required for parentified roles can detract children, a child's responsibility to focus on schoolwork and educational pursuits, potentially impacting their academic performance and future opportunities. Right? And I hear it. You want me to hear, oh, well, some families need, I hear, that's what you want me to hear. And I hear that because, again, I've done the research. But every year, every year at church, I meet a, ch- I meet a college student and, and say to me, hey, I'm so glad to be here. Can I stay here during the holidays? I won't, don't want to go home. And we have to partner them up with, you know, with families in the church because they know oh, when they get their student loan, they don't have enough money to go to school because the student loan, hear me, y'all, the student loan has to check, has to be sent back. The grant check that, yes, was supposed to pay for school and their books and their well-being has to be sent back home to take care of the family. Okay, all right. Some of y'all getting mad, but it is what it is. It is what it is. It is, but it is. Now, here's the deal. Here is the deal. Uh, but when my dad, my dad was born in 40, 1942, went to college in 1960, and uh, his parents, my grandparents, were were farmers, were farmers at the time, and they always sent him money. They scratched, they scratched and they scrounged, and he would get a job and try to send money back to them. And you know, I, he was like, "No, uh, uh-uh, don't do that. No, you got to get that to take care of yourself." You taking care of yourself and getting a job there. But you ain't got to take care of your parents. It's our job to take care of you. And these kids today in 2024, I don't want y'all to miss that sign. In 2024, culture called my CC community, that there are children that cannot finish their education because, not because the parents simply can't afford it. 
It's because they're responsible. It didn't just start when they went to college. They are using and seeing college as a means to an end to make up a financial deficit because they've had all these other brothers and sisters and they got to send their check back home. Hmm. And a lot of them, unfortunately, have to drop out of school. Yeah. Some don't even graduate. That's been the story of our community. That's been that's been the history of our community. That we've had to make, I, I know, decisions that other other communities don't have to make. We've got we've had to make them. We've had to make them to survive. Yes. We've had to make them to survive. And that was one of the things that Norman Lair and those who constructed Good Times, y'all remember the, the sitcom Good Times? That's one of the things that he didn't like about having a father in the home. He did that. He was opposed. That's why Esther Rose said, but if you want me to do this, because she was spinning off for Maud. All right. I know some of y'all listening to me. Don't, what? Yeah. She was doing a spinoff for Maud. And in that sitcom, James's name was Henry in Maud. Right. When they got good times, they weren't going to give Esther Rose a husband. She fought so that John Amos who played the role of James, could be there, right? Because when they got into, you know, again, when they got into a situation, financial situation, and the children tried to say, you know, to become adults, I work at McDonald's. I work there through J.J., Thelma, and Michael. Yeah, yep. James would say, absolutely not. I'll make it. Y'all go to school. You get an education. This on my shoulder. That, that was an aspect that they did not like. He didn't even want Florida to work. That's another aspect that we're going to talk about later. But he didn't even want Florida to work because he was adamant about him as the man, the husband, the parent taking care of the children. And they didn't like that. And when John Amos began to confront them about it, is that that's when they they killed them off the show. (laughs) That's what they did. Right. John Amos like, okay, whatever. And they were like, okay, well, we'll move on without you. Because it was always their understanding, always their understanding, even when they made and created the Jeffersons. Let me give you all some history. Even when they created the Jeffersons of a man from that, that's a spinoff from the bunkers. Y'all remember? Yeah. George and Louise and Lionel, they, that was a spinoff from the bunkers. And then George's cleaners made it. They didn't want George to be a highly intelligent man. They wanted to keep him working so he would be disconnected from his his wife and his children. Even as an influential man, he had, he made the decision to always do what? To work, work, work. So he wouldn't get behind, behind, behind. That Look at it. It's always been a strategy against the black family. When you looked at TV, especially when it was coming up in the 70s and the 80s, that was a lot of the the people's issue with uh, the the Cosby show. They did not want the Cosby show and a different world on because of the light that Bill Cosby decided to say, okay, if we're going to do this, this is how we are going to portray blackness in America. This is how we're going to, they're going to be highly educated. They're going to be, their children are going to go to the top schools. Sandra went to Princeton, right? Sandra went to Princeton. Uh, Denise went to Hillman, which was, which will be equated to uh, Morehouse and Spelman. 
right? That's where she went to Hampton. You know, Howard, that's the mentality that, that they had for uh, 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 Theo went to NYU. Vanessa went to Lincoln, which is a, a prestigious HBCU. And we didn't get to see where Rudy would go. But that's the kind of idea. And, of course, the whole a different world aspect. But there is also there always something that they're attacking the black family and how we are viewed. And part of that is the perpetuation of a, a parentification, an adultification of children. And we definitely have to stand up and not do that in reality to our families. Listen, this is the Culture Call. We having some good, good today right here with yours truly, Elspeth Smith, on your inspiration station, Praise 93.3. Keep it right here. Got much more to go. Want to read you some of this chat. Listen, y'all talking in this chat. We'll catch you on the other side. Don't miss it. This is the world we are back right here with yours truly, Elspeth Smith, right here on the Culture Call. Your praise, 93.3 Inspiration Station. Yeah, keeping it right here all day. We are having a powerful conversation about strengthening the black family. That's what we're doing, the new black family. That's what I'm calling it, the new black family. And some of you have been blowing up this chat. And I want to do a couple of these so you'll know that I'm reading it and I'm listening to it. Listen, uh, some of you said, I don't know if we're ready to have this conversation about how many people had children as a means to an end, whether it was to secure their own standing in somebody's life, to get a check from another adult, or to live out their own failed dreams and turn their child into the instrument to generate revenue for them. A lot of people incorporated elements of chattel slavery and black codes, Jim Crow, into their parenting of their children, and it shows. Woo! Y'all, did y'all did y'all hear that? That what my my person from Birmingham, P P from Birmingham, says. Listen, you we not ready to have have this conversation to where many black folks, many black people have had children as a means to an end. And an economic end is that, right? How they've employed uh, black codes, chattel enslavement, and Jim Crow uh, 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 ideology into having our children uh, so that they could advantage themselves. Wow, wow. And and here's, here's, here's the power. She says, and it shows. Oh, I don't know if it's he, he or she is P, whatever. <laughs> it, says, it shows. Is that true? That 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 people had a bunch of kids. Now I know it is so back in the day. I know that a lot of those kids, folks having twenty and twenty and fifteen, twenty kids. A lot of that, not all, but a lot of that was not done out of love. A lot of that in our community was done out of a sense of commodification, uh, an economic and financial decision that the more children that I have, uh, they, they can they can work this farm. We can produce more. Right. That is watch it, y'all. It is a vestige. It is a part and parcel of enslavement, slave codes, Jim Crowism. Yeah. Chattel slavery. Right. That's unfortunately some people see their children as an economic means or or or, or you know, well, I had this baby to keep him. Huh? Right. When, when when the love is not the impetus, and that's what I keep telling people, you know, this is why I when I, I I think it's a great ministry point 
to when you bring people, especially if they're not married to the altar, when they want to christen their baby back to God. Here's the deal. How can you bring present your baby back to God and you're not going to even at least know what God requires? Let's rewind Paul's push play. Let's try it again. How do you dedicate your baby back to God and then do not rear your child, instruct your child in the ways that God says that child should go? You don't even know anything about God. You don't pay attention to God until Christmas, Mother's Day and Easter. So then how... How does that, how does this christening to this, of this child credible? Huh? And, and the church, see, people don't understand that I take my job before God very seriously. Some of y'all be like, hey, Reverend, just christen the child. I ain't got nothing to do with you. Well, see, that's what your Reverend do. I don't do that. No, I take my job very seriously as one who God has set in a particular place for a particular people. As Jeremiah 3 says that he has given me to feed with knowledge and understanding, right? <laughs> Absolutely. He, I'm a gift from him to do that. And I take my job very seriously as I often stand in his stead. So I've got to ask the hard questions. How in the world are you going to create something that God desires and you don't have a relationship? Not with each other. Because safe folk can have, pick, choose, and have bad relationships. That's another topic right there, huh? That 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 same people can get yoked up in a, in a situationship <laughs> and find an offspring produced out of that, and, and and still, you know, yeah, and still not know what to do in terms of in terms of a marital relationship because it wasn't even in that it wasn't in that realm from the beginning. So why we put it on them? Why we do that now? I have. Absolutely no honest clue. I don't know why we do that. Nonetheless, nonetheless, they need that level of instruction. And as the writer says, that it, when you produce a child or have an offspring, that is not uh, in the context a context of, number one, love or some level of intimacy, yeah, and perpetuating a family's bloodline. When you do that, you set that child up for failure because how can you produce a family, an appropriate family structure that leads that child where they need to go? You can't do it. You cannot. You can't train up a child in the fear and the admonition of God if you don't have a relationship with him. If you ain't on the path, how are you going to lead your child on the path? Right? See, when I grew up, it was parents take your children to Sunday school. Now is Parents drop your children off to Sunday school. And now is, oh, you got a you got a choice. Do you want to go or not? See, how? How do we do that and create this thing, this elusive thing now, which is called the black family? How do we do that? Right? And so when you have a child, you covenant with the earth. You covenant with your bloodline and says, I'm going to stick around and be around. That's why you that see, and the state has figured that out. That's why there's things called child support payments and all kinds of stuff. I, that's that's what it's about. All of that kind of stuff. And, and here's another one. Here's another one. There, th that is the great irony of irresponsible progenitors. 
They use their own irresponsibility to rob their children of their chance to be children and call it teaching them responsibility. Wow. Now they don't want them to have the authority in the voice of an adult, but assume the responsibility of one. Y'all, if I had a Hammond B3, because you know ain't no good church until you have a Hammond B3. If I had a Hammond B3, let's pull all the draw bars out, put the Leslie on, let's have some church. Because they just said that. That we want to parentify and adultify our children with responsibility, but do not want to give them authority. Huh? Because if I'm taking care, if that child is taking care of what all the parental things around the house, but don't parental have parental uh, parents have authority? See, they still got to behave like children and respond to you like children. Yeah, in that atmosphere like children, but they, but you have all the responsibility. Well, 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 well. I ain't say it. I didn't say it. <laughs> I, I did not say it. No, I did not say it at all. Yeah, my this 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 listener said it on the chat, and that is a true statement. That you cannot, it is, it is wrong for us to have children put parental responsibility on them and rob them of the authority of a parent. Should they be able to tell you when to go to bed? Right. Should they be able to tell everybody, because uh, I'm taking care of you, I'm cooking the dinner. But if they get out of line, you want to spank them. You want to you want to reprimand. You want to discipline them because you the parent. I'm the I'm the parent and you the child. Well, are you? Hmm. And that is a cloak. I do agree with that. This this chat person, uh, this one that responded via chat, that is we do uh, a mask it in taking taking response. I'm teaching how to take responsibility. No, that taking out the trash, packing it up, getting it from out all the rooms. There's a certain age. And that's that's what you do. You just take out the trash, right? And and, and but I'm still the parent because I'm taking care of everything else. I'm, that's all I'm at. All I'm asking you to do is take out the trash, making up your bed in the morning, and cleaning up your room is not parentification. No, at a certain age, it's appropriate that you need to know how to make up your bed and you know how to clean up your room because you're getting older now, right? And so I want to make sure that you know how to do that correctly. We had to do that every morning and my parents would come in our room and look, you know, you know, we had three beds in one room. Me and my three brothers, we had a bunk bed and a, and a, and a full size bed. My oldest brother was sleeping on a, a full size and my, bro, my baby brother and I, we would, we would go back and forth sleeping on the top and the bottom, depending on, you know, how we felt, right? And we, they would come in and make sure, and my daddy was in the Army Reserve, so he wanted to make sure that we knew how, and those beds had to be right. You know, making sure that our rooms were clean before we went out and played. He didn't stop us from playing. Playing. The responsibility was not in place of going down and socializing with our friends down the road. No, it had to be done before we could do that. Right? That we had to take care of our chores and our teenage responsibilities, our preteen responsibilities, before we could go out and how my how my pet mama would say gallivant, right? But we weren't no, we weren't no, we weren't taught how to do that, you know. 
we, we were taught how to cook. So, yes, they showed us. My parents, my daddy, my grandparents would say, okay, stand right here. Let me show you how to uh, wash the chicken. Let me show you how to cut up and snap peas. And let me show you how to do this. It wasn't in replace of my childhood. It was a part of my childhood to say, to show that, okay, so you do, you do it. Okay, the next time we get some more peas, I want you to do it by yourself. And you will be so excited because, ooh, you get to shell the peas today. Right? It wasn't in replace of me playing kickball or dodgeball or whatever hide and go seek or cops and robbers, red light, green light, one, two, three, stop. It wasn't in replace of my childhood. It was to show me, okay, I want to show you this because one day I may not be here and you may have to cook. And them teaching me how to cook has lasted me. Man, it was a lifesaver in college. It was a lifesaver. And I wanted to know. I wanted to know how to make macaroni and cheese and how to cook collard greens. I wanted to know how to fry a chicken like my grandmama. I wanted to know that. You know, but that didn't. And sometimes she would say, go around there and go play with the rest of them. Go there. You see them all around there. She would send me back to go play with the rest of them. I'm like, I don't have an attitude because I wanted to know. <laughs> right? But it wasn't. I wasn't the cook and the cleaner. And it wasn't that I couldn't play with them because I had adult responsibilities. That is different. And if you can't see the difference, we are in a bad place. If you can't see the difference. And that that's the difference. They didn't put that on me as a punishment or trying to take away me playing with my brothers or my, my other cousins. No, absolutely not. No. I, I was able to watch them cook and smell the cooking. Yeah, that I was able to watch them clean up the house. I was able to watch them mow the grass and sit on the front porch. And then they invited me into their responsibilities. And then they, at a certain age, they said, well, you this time you go ahead and, and, and mow the grass like I taught you how. It was It didn't rob me of any of my childhood. And that's how this thing should go. That's what it means to train them up and to give them proper chores and to grow them up, but not in replace 11, 12, 13. They're cooking for a whole family, putting the babies and burping the babies and all that. And they don't have any childhood. They are growing up as imbalanced people. And if that is happening, we have got to stop it. Try it again. We've got to stop it and give our children a part, their rightful place in our families. And that might mean, that might mean more responsibility for us as adults, but that means more responsibility. That's what we are supposed to do. That is what our purpose and design is. Absolutely. Today has been a wonderful conversation. And I'm telling you, uh, we got, we got more to talk about. Yeah, but we can't do it all in one day, but I need you to stay right here. We got a little bit more to come right on the culture call with yours truly, L. Spencer Smith on your inspiration station. Praise 93.3. Stay right here. Don't miss it. And this has been an awesome day and a wonderful, wonderful show. Yes, absolutely. As we have been talking about building strategies for building the new black family. And we want to make sure that we have an understanding that we're trying not to repeat some of the same old mistakes that we, our foreparents did. We appreciate them for the bridge. They are the bridge that brought us over to where we are. That in my sight, my parents were the perfect parents for me. They may not have done everything perfectly. They made some decisions that I look, man, I don't want to re, uh, reproduce that and replicate that in my children. 
in my family. But for the most part, they gave me a foundation of what a solid, steady family looks like so that at least my wife and I can do our best, our best. Are we the perfect people? You know, I'm sure our children regrade us <laughs> and say, nah, y'all got some stuff y'all need to work on. But guess what? Their children are going to grade them as well. Absolutely. They're going to grade them as well. And I'm just hoping that we get a B plus. I think I deserve an A plus, but nonetheless, <laughs> you know, but hey, guess what? I believe that we do the best we can of what God gives us to to rear our children and build a strong family the best way we know how. And I am grateful that my children uh knew knew our uh know their cousins, uh not only know their their sisters, their brothers and their sisters know each other, but they knew their extended family, they knew their grandparents, they knew their great grandparents. Uh most of them are deceased now. I think we got one great grandparent that's left. And uh and they were had an opportunity to meet them, the extended level of family to see, you know, talk to my dad, talk to my mom. You know, uh, unfortunately, my father-in-law did not live long enough, but I see him in them every day. See, that's what family is. I see him definitely. And here's the funny part. In my baby son, <laughs> I see him all the time. His boldness, his, his, his pride, his, his courage, his confidence. I see it in all of my children every day. And that is something that we cannot rob our children of. We've got to give them a sense of strong family. Because guess what? Our children are the future. They are the noun that will become the future. And we've got to set up the kind of paradigm, the kind of pattern that we want them to live in. So I'm super glad. And I hope that today it made you think about some things that you can do differently in your own home and in your own family. As we build the community together, one family at a time. That you think about the family faith. You think about the family standard and the family virtue. You think about all of the things that you are putting in them now. You are allowing them to be who they are, your children, so that they won't resent growing up in your house. I believe that we can do that together. Listen, it's been a great day, but like my grandmama and my mama would always say at the end of every phone call, I love you a bushel, I love you a peck, and I love you a hug around the neck. This is yours truly, L. Spencer Smith, right here on your favorite talk show on Praise 93.3. FM, The Culture Call. we got way more to come, but it'll be on another day. Tune in tomorrow as we'll be right back here from 10 to 12 p.m. Until then, go out and win, be strong, love somebody, and do good. Y'all have a blessed day. Peace.